This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. All parenting is preparation for letting go. However, the paradox of parenting is that the more we learn about adolescent development and risk, the more frightened we become for our children and the more we may want to stay involved in our children's lives. This becomes particularly necessary and also particularly challenging in mid to late adolescence, the years just before and after students head off to college. That transition from high school to college is fraught with potential roadblocks and pitfalls for parents and students alike. With campus hazards like binge drinking and sexual assault routine headlines and the skyrocketing rates of college mental health problems, parents are rightly concerned about shipping their children off to live independently. The years of late adolescence and young adulthood are a time when many mood disorders and other serious mental health issues emerge. And in this part of today's show, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about with an expert who has written a new book on the topic, who's going to be talking to us about the difference between typical behavior and early warning signs of clinical disorder. I'm Armin Brunt. We'll start talking about the most stressful years of our kids' lives and what we as parents can do to help them survive and thrive during those years when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brunt, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avvo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avvo bet. A is for taking action. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're going to be fine. You sick? Barely. V is for variety. Huh, change up my strategy. Okay. O is for optimize your savings. Let Avvo lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt, and my guest for this part of today's show is Anthony Rostain, who's the co-author of The Stressed Years of Their Lives, Helping Your Kids Survive and Thrive During Their College Years. Uh, Dr. Rostain, Anthony, thanks for joining us. Oh, delighted to be here. Stressed years, should they be? Well, to some extent, you know, we think of those years as the best years of our lives, but there's always right. a little bit of stress in those years because they're years of change and of exploring new new places, new ideas. But we think that uh, these 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 years, those the college years, have become very stressed. Unlike in the past, a greater degree of uh, anxiety we see 
in young people and in their parents, in their families. So that's why we wrote the book, is to kind of help everyone prepare for that inevitable leaving home scenario, but hopefully with, with an eye towards making it a more successful launch. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, the college years going off to college should be a, a time of stress. I mean, they're they're getting a chance to be on their own for a while, although they'll have a community of, of like-minded individuals to, to hopefully go through that with, but they won't have the same level of parental supervision. But and how much should we be involved to reduce that stress, and how much of it is a normal part of developments that they need to go through? I mean, if we're there too much... That, is, that, that hits the question right on the mark, and to start with, we think that the preparation phase of leaving to go off to college should begin much earlier than it does nowadays with a different mindset about it. Um, you know, what we've been detecting in the culture is a growing concern about getting kids into the best possible schools and going to all ends, including sometimes beyond what we would say is ethical or legal, to try to get your kid into the best college. And a lot of the emphasis is on academic preparation and on, uh, you know, showing off your, your skills as, uh, uh, you know, in the music or arts and, uh, you know, packing your, your resume so that colleges think you're a well-rounded person. But what, what gets missed often are the, what we call social and emotional skills like managing your own life on your own. And so the best preparation parents can, can, can in, in, you know, engage in with their kids is to begin talking early on about these um, skills like being able to uh, manage your day, you know, get up on your own and manage your own schedule, do your own laundry, you know, get, your, get to bed on time, those kinds of skills. And uh, that's one example of the, of the, of the kind of self-readiness self that we believe parents ought to be thinking about. Once they're gone, that's a whole different story. But the first half of our book really focuses on preparing for the departure and, and including having conversations with your kids, open-ended conversations about things like being able to handle uh, other people and getting along with people who are different from you or handling situations where, you know, you might not be included in a group that you want to join or what do you do if, if somebody's offering you um, risky kinds of behaviors as, a, as, a, as an option. How do you handle risk? You know, how do yeah. you handle um, coping with frustration and disappointment? And how do you deal with um, going for help if you need it? So those are some of the ideas that we, we throw out there that, that, yeah. that parents need to think about as part of the college preparation. And then the other thing is what we think of as parental self-care. You know, are you as a parent um, dealing with your own anxiety in a way that is, is healthy and or uh, showing a role modeling kind of effect to your kids? Um, right. So let's we'll give you one concrete example. Well, let, let me, you know, let, let, let's, complain. Oh, let's come back to that one because I want to talk to you about something else that just came up as you were, as you were talking yeah. about all these all these things, the, these obstacles and and challenges that kids are going to be have to have to be dealing with when they go off to college. What do you think about what's going on at so many campuses with the safe spaces and what I see? I don't want to turn this into a big political thing, but I see as a, a restriction of free speech. 
on a lot of campuses and where kids are not being exposed to opposing views or people who are not like them, and which is exactly yeah. what you said, is that they should be <laughs> learning learning how to right. deal with things so that they we, don't we agree with. So we try to land right in the sort of not sort of getting into a political discussion. We think that right. diversity right. of opinions is important and that you do have to go into a world that's going to you know, there are going to be people expressing ideas that you may not disagree with, hopefully, though, in a civil manner. So when people talk about safe space, uh, I, I don't think it means restricting speech, but I do think it means being more considerate if you disagree with people to avoid, you know, mudslinging or name-calling um, on either side, right, of any debate, and having hopefully. a chance to um, explore then um, a dialogue with people who you don't agree with rather than modeling what I think is happening in the culture, which is a very um, polarized kind of discussion. So how do we create spaces in which people can feel safe to disagree with one another and to express opinions that might not be the most popular ones without feeling attacked? Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think having a chance to ex uh, experience differences of opinion um, and, and not feeling as a result that uh, you're being ostracized for expressing those opinions. Um, but the other, uh, by, this, by the same token, and this is where I think the new generation is in a different place than we were when we were going off to college, is that so much time is spent online and interacting with other mm -hmm. people in a virtual reality that sometimes just showing up in a room and <laughs> discussing things is new to people, right? They're not used to the kinds of debates or arguments they might have had right, uh, right. When, when, when in the past before the Internet. And so, so much of social relationships are mediated through this interface of the, of the Internet that when individuals show up in the same room, they're not prepared, right? They're not ready to right. either express themselves or to hear what others have to say. So that's part of the preparation yeah, we I think, think parents right. and kids need to talk about is can you practice describing how you, you see a situation or are you going to be too timid or too intimidated to, uh, to say what's on your mind? Well, it's so easy online and in social media to associate only with people who believe exactly, exactly. what you believe. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. We are worried about this. We're worried that kids come in there into college so sheltered and only listening to one side of a story that they really aren't prepared to engage with other ways of thinking. So, yeah, that's exactly the right right uh, question to raise. How do you get your kid to listen to other sides of a story and to think about things in a more complex way? All right. So before we went off on this little sidetrack here, which I think was an important one, but you were talking about the importance of parental self-care as a part of the preparation process. Yeah. So, you know, parents focus a lot on how's my kid doing, how are they doing in school, you know, where are they going after school and driving them around or watching over them every minute. And what we're saying is, no, you know, you need to step back for your kid's sake. But then you also need to be thinking about, how are you handling the uh, the feelings and the and the concerns you might have as your child approaches departure from home? Because there's it's a mixed it's it's a mixed kind of set of feelings. On the one hand, you're happy, my kid's growing up, they're moving on. On the other hand, it's oh my goodness, like what am I going to do without them around? Especially if you're really spending a lot of time engaging with them. So we think that that process requires parents to number one reflect. How am I? What am I concerned about? What are my biggest fears? And to begin to address them 
on their own rather than asking kids to reassure them, okay, because that's really backwards. And kids do best when they think their parents are ready to let them go, are, mm-hmm. are, are, are eager to see them succeed but not meddling in their lives, and are, and are going to do things to take care of themselves. One example that I think parents can take, practically speaking, is to, if they can tell their children, listen, I don't want you to stay up late online or, you know, looking at your cell phone. Well, are you doing the same? Are you managing your Internet and cell phone use? Uh, Because that's something that we think everybody needs to pay attention to since it's interfering with sleep and it's it's really creating all kinds of uh, risks that we're not even aware of. Um, So once again, practice what you preach. Don't tell your kid they shouldn't drink and then drink too much yourself, that sort of thing. Talking with Anthony Rostain, who's the co-author with Janet Hibbs of The Stressed Years of Their Lives, helping your kids survive and thrive during their college years. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Dr. Rostain about the other parts of preparing yourself and preparing your child to go off to college, what the stressors are, how to deal with them, and a lot more. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Anthony Rustain, who's the co-author with Janet Hibbs of The Stressed Years of Their Lives. And wanted to ask you, before we moved on to some of the other uh, stuff that we're talking about in the book, uh, that one of the things I, I came across in the research I was doing for a book I did a little while ago on, on fathers, one of the uh, my, part of my series of books on fatherhood, uh, was the idea of, of being needed, and it seems to be more of a dad thing than a mom thing in a sense. We, we get a lot of our satisfaction as parents from feeling needed by our kids, and when they go off to college, 
almost by definition, they don't need us as much anymore. And it can be, just as you were talking about the parental self-care, it just seemed like that should be perhaps part of something that parents should be thinking about, is that your role as a parent hopefully has been evolving over time since they were younger, but especially when they go off to college, you're not needed in the same way. That's right. It's not that you're not needed. It's that you're needed in a different way. I, I really like what you just said because instead of thinking it as just a loss, oh, they don't need me anymore, it's really my kids need me in a different way, right? They need me to be uh, able to coach them if, they, if they're asking for coaching. They need me to listen when they need to talk. And they need, to, to, uh, to, they need us to provide for them, right? They're still our dependents. And I agree with you that, that it's, too, it's too easy to start to feel like, oh, they're off, they don't need me anymore. One of the ways I don't, I don't think parents have thought through enough is how are you going to stay in touch with your kid when they're at, at, at school? Like and, talking and about how that often? ahead of time. And so, you know, for some people it'll be talk. It used to be the once-a-week phone call, right? Now it may be texting or, 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 or Skyping. How often is that going to happen? And, and how to make it a, a natural kind of conversation rather than a pressured one because you want your you want your kid to not feel like they've got to give you every single detail of their lives because once again you're trying to create an opportunity for them to do more on their own but 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 by no means does going off to school mean your kid doesn't need you and part of what the book is trying to say is the most important thing parents can do is convey to the kid their 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 genuine interest in what are they learning, who are they meeting, what are some of the cool things that are going on, and what are the things that might be bothering them about their experience, and having those conversations in a in a relaxed way, and rather than a you know interrogation um, and a third degree. How do you suggest that parents start talking about sexual issues? that the kids are likely to face. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, yeah. particularly because of, I guess, both sides. There's the, the Me Too thing, and there's also mm-hmm. the, a growing number of, of boys on campus who feel that they've been wrongfully accused of something. And how do you, you have to have conversations with both boys and girls about if you don't want to get into trouble, whether that's being accused mm-hmm. or being put in a position you don't want to be in, you need to take some responsibility. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, A, just starting it that way, saying, listen, I know that, uh, you know, sex is something that people like to do when they're in college, and you're going to meet people you're attracted to. Let's talk about what you envision are some of the things that you're going to be um, looking to have happen, right? I mean, is it going to be you're going to want to meet someone and fall in love and wait until that happens, or do you want to just have more casual kinds of experiences? You don't have to give me the details, but what do you imagine? And then when the when the kids start to say, well, I imagine we're just going to, you know, have fun, meet up at a party, and go drink. Okay, that's interesting. Well, do you know that that the, 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 the fact is that when people consume alcohol, their judgment may be different, and your behavior may be judged the next day as not having been consensual? So that's something to think about. So, it's, again, it's not being, it's not trying to scare anybody, but it's just getting them to think about how the, 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 the behaviors they engage in have to be more or less explicitly discussed ahead of time rather than just taking advantage of someone if they're not barely able to remember the next day what happened and then they suddenly think, oh, God, this was not under my 
you know, my consent. Uh, now, colleges, for the same token, colleges do spend a fair amount of time now educating incoming students about alcohol and substance use and about sexual behavior that is, you know, not acceptable. They don't, they don't mince words by saying that if someone says no, they mean no. You've got to respect that, for example. And also to warn people that, um, you know, the, uh, the circumstances under which encounters take place needs to be really one that's, that's protective of both individuals, that both people are vulnerable and both people need to understand that they have to take responsibility for their actions. It's got to be, like you said, everybody has to take ownership of their behavior. On the subject of responsibility, how do you begin as, as a parent, and hopefully you're the parent, the kind of parent who's encouraging independence or at least def- trying to support independence, how do you get across to the kids that perhaps they don't need to call home with every problem, that they should be <laughs> should be trying to yeah. deal with things on I love that question. So, again, I think that the, 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 the discussion ahead of time of how one wants the relationship to, to move ahead, it's two individuals now, parent and child, but the child is no longer a little kid. They're now an emerging adult. And to say, hey, you know, I would like to hear from you, but I'm not here to solve every little detail. Maybe there are other people who can help you solve the problem. Um, This is particularly the case, by the way, in in people who are anxious. When there's a high degree of anxiety and fear of doing something wrong, uh, kids may call home a lot and ask for that kind of help. And it's very hard for parents to say no because they want to help their kid, right? And the kid is pulling on them. Hey, help me, help me, help me. So I think the the comment the parent can make is, listen, I would love to be able to answer this question for you, but let's talk about how you, what are the options that you have in front of you, and who else might help you with solving this problem? Because there are other people around the campus who might help you solve the problem of whatever it is, not liking your roommate, uh, feeling ignored by some uh, group of people you like, or not, not understanding what a teacher is doing. Um, you know, we really discourage um, parents getting in the, in the middle of a conversation a student has to have with a professor if they're not doing well in that professor's oh, yeah. class. So yeah. teaching your kid to advocate for themselves is what the parents should do. And that gives the message, number one, I, I believe that you have the ability to solve this. And number two, it isn't my mind to solve, it's yours to solve. That's a tough one, though. I mean, because oh, it, 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 it overlaps a little bit with that being needed thing. Is, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. Know, If we you get that call... Hit. Now, this is the main message of the book. There's, even though there's a lot of anxiety and reasons to be uh, concerned about the world, that generally speaking, college is a great time, and that your kid, once they get used to being there, will, will generally speaking... Um, be able to enjoy it and, and learn, and if they're not having a good time, then they should be able to go and get help with no stigma, because we worry that there are a lot of kids walking around who are afraid to, to ask for help or to, uh, from, from anyone, okay, and they're, not, and they're hiding this stuff from their parents, and what we want them to do is to say, hey, there's a world of support in colleges now to help you with whatever you're, is bothering you, um, and that you shouldn't uh, shirk from that. It's not. A, there's no shame. If you're depressed, if you're feeling homesick, if you're feeling confused, if you're feeling angry at someone uh, who didn't treat you right, don't just you know sh- 
shove it, but think through who can you who can you talk this over. And most of the time, by the way, the peer groups are really strong in this respect, and there are peer helpers. And at at University of Pennsylvania, we train um, students who are interested in having uh, what we call the I care conversation. And that's where I say to you, Hey, I care about you. I I notice you're acting a little bit down. I care. I want to know what's going on. Can we talk? And that's the sort of support we, we think can help young people learn how to solve problems on their own without over-relying on their parents. I've been talking with Anthony Rostain, who's the co-author with Janet Hibbs of The Stressed Years of Their Lives, Helping Your Kids Survive and Thrive During Their College Years. Uh, you mentioned that you're at the University of Pennsylvania and that there's the, the program that you just mentioned. Is there a website where people can find out a little bit more about the book yes, or the program? Yes, if you go to the University of Pennsylvania, well, if you go to thestressedyears.com, www.thestressedyears.com, you can get uh, more information about the book. And at the University of Pennsylvania, you just type in uh, this, uh, the University of Pennsylvania um, uh, dot edu and, uh, and you will be able to see um, there's a whole link to the uh, support services there. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Opiates has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything. I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth, spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Brott, and it's time for a Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my family loves being in the water, whether it's a pool, a lake, the ocean, or even a bathtub. But every summer, sure as clockwork, stories of children drowning start popping up like mushrooms. It seems to me that drownings aren't really any more common than they used to be. There's just more media coverage. But the big issue is what we can do to be safe around the water. You're absolutely right. According to the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, the CPSC, the number of drownings has stayed roughly consistent for the past few years, and media coverage of drownings tends to pick up in the summer, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a good thing. Roughly 350 children under 15 drown in pools and spas every year. Three-quarters of those kids are under five. Every one of those deaths is a tragedy, especially when you consider that most are completely preventable. In addition, every year, about 5,000 children under 15 are involved in non-fatal submersion injuries, better known as near-drownings, that require emergency room treatment. Many result in permanent injury, including brain damage, and again, most are preventable. Here are some guidelines, some are provided by the CPSC, that will help keep your family safe this summer. Appoint a designated watcher a responsible adult or teen who will focus 100% on the people who are in or near the spa, pool, river, or other body of water. 
That means absolutely, positively, no reading, talking on the phone, playing games, chatting with friends, or anything else. Your designated watcher should pay particular attention to boys. Adults often play down boys' roughhousing and excessive risk-taking, as boys will be boys. But the consequences of that lackadaisical attitude can be deadly. Boys are twice as likely as girls to drown in swimming pools, and African-American boys are 4 to 15 times more likely than white boys to drown in pools. Interestingly, girls are more likely than boys to drown in bathtubs, which is where 10% of drownings occur. Make sure that all pools and spas are surrounded by a four-sided fence with a self-closing, self-latching gate. This will keep younger kids from wandering into the pool area. Experts estimate that having four-sided fencing could prevent 50 to 90% of drownings and near drownings. Empty toddler pools and store them upside down. Children can drown in as little as half an inch of water. Learn how to swim and teach your kids to swim. Take a CPR class to teach us how to perform this life-saving procedure on children and adults. Ensure that any pool and spa you use has drain covers that comply with federal safety standards. If you're not sure, ask your pool service provider about safe drain covers. Teach children to stay away from drains, pipes, and other openings. Every year, there are numerous circulation entrapment incidents, most of which involve an arm, leg, or some other body part or hair getting sucked into a drain or pipe or caught on a broken or missing cover. While most of these incidents aren't fatal, they're very scary and, as I mentioned, usually preventable. One additional way to prevent them is to ensure that children with long hair wear a bathing cap or pin their hair up. Hair can get sucked into drains and a child drown faster than you might think. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.